toward the peak. We all face our own struggles, each unique and challenging. In Romans 8.37, we are assured that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. With faith and with perseverance, we can conquer any uphill climb. Your journey may be tough, but victory awaits those who keep moving uphill. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's awesome to see you here. Um, my name is Zach. I am the student pastor here, so I'm super privileged. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for letting me come and hang out with you guys here this morning. It's always an honor to hang out with you guys, see you here today. And today's a little bit extra special. Everyone give yourself a pat in the back. You're here. If you're watching online, awesome job, because it is Memorial Day weekend, which is exciting. It's, you know... A lot of us love Memorial Day weekend just simply because it's a three-day weekend. Um, but what we want to do right now, just to kind of set the tone, I think, for the rest of our morning here together, is really to just acknowledge how blessed we are, what Memorial Day actually reminds us of, right? That so many people paid the, yeah, you can clap to that. So many people paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to have our freedom, like to acknowledge what we're doing right now, the fact that we got to just freely worship and praise the name of Jesus and we're able to come here and talk about the gospel, it didn't come without sacrifice. And so I want to do everything I can today to honor that freedom, to do everything I can today to share the gospel in its full entirety today. And I'll just say this right now, if you're newer here or if you got invited by someone or if you're watching online or maybe you're watching this video at another day because someone sent you this video and there's this random guy named Zach talking to you right now, I want to just encourage you that you're going to hear some things today that might challenge the way that you've always viewed the world. You're going to hear some things today that might challenge the way you've always thought of God. And it may, it may come as a surprise to you that there really is a God who really does love you. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump into this. Father, Lord, as we get ready to open up your word today, God, let us just honor you with what we're talking about here today. My biggest prayers, Lord, this morning and the text that we're going to read today, the words that are coming from you, Jesus, let it sharpen us. Let it sharpen us. Let it refocus us. And let us move out this morning, Lord, more prepared than we've ever been. We say this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you looked at the bulletin today, you saw we have an interesting topic. Dun, 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 right? The end of times. We're talking about the end times right now, which is going to be really fun and exciting and scary and all those things as we talk about it here. But it's just really interesting to talk about the end times. I mean, it seems like culture is just obsessed with like the end of the world. You can see like there's tons of movies. This was a quick Google search on like top movies about the end of the world, right? And these like the first things that pop up. There's just all kinds of stuff, movies, music, like all of culture is obsessed with talking about the the end times. Why? I don't know. Maybe there's something intrinsically inside of us as humans that knows life as we know it isn't going to continue like this forever. There's going to come an end. And it just seems like we're also obsessed with the end. And then for Christians, what we as Christians believe, there's many Christians who believe in something called the rapture, right? And what the rapture is, it's what Christians believe about what's going to happen at the end times, that right before God brings his ultimate judgment on the world, there's going to be, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rapture up his church. He's going to bring up the Christians. And we're not going to get into all that today. However, actually, if you want to watch a really cheesy movie on that, in 2014, Nicolas Cage was in a movie called Left Behind, all about what happens to the world when all the Christians are gone. But some people like to take that a little bit step further. And there's some YouTube videos out of some really mean spouses who have pranked 
their significant other to think they've been left behind. You know, watch this video. It's really funny. And here's Jordan outfit. He was coloring and <laughs> he pooped. Jay! So incredibly mean, but so hilarious, right? And so it's, it's kind of a scary thing to talk about and to think about the end. And so if you're just joining us right now, we've been journeying through the, uh, the gospel of Luke. And today we're arriving in Luke 21, and we're going to hear Jesus talk about the end of times and give prophecy about what the end will be like. And as exciting and as scary and all the emotions that are there to talk about the end times, this is an incredibly important conversation for us to have this morning. And here's the reason why. Right? New Testament scholars, what they define, like there's a whole study of scriptures around the end times, and they give it this word called eschatology. It's the study of the end times through the Old Testament and the New Testament because the Bible, scriptures, has a ton to say around this. Right? Just listen to like how important the word of God takes the end and how we can prepare for it. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible either talks about the second coming of Jesus or the end times, right? Fascinating, right? It's talked about both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? In just the New Testament alone, there are 216 chapters, and in those is over 300 references to the subject of the end times. And even more interesting, 23 out of the 27 New Testament books all talk about the end times, right? So there's a plethora in scripture that gives us an expectation of what to be ready for in regards to the end times, now, before we can move any further to jump into this passage, I think we have to stop and just pause for a second and address the huge elephant in the room right now anytime you talk about the end times, right? From day one, Jesus told his followers, be ready for my return. Stay ready for because I could be coming back at any time. And what's great, what's awesome is every generation since then has stayed ready for the return of Jesus. But what's really confusing is that was over 2,000 years ago. And it seems like every generation has said that they were ready because they looked at the world and said, man, the world has gotten so corrupt. It's gotten so bad that Jesus must be returning in our generation. And of course, we acknowledge, we know that our country has some problems. Our world has some problems, but there's actually been worse years in human history. You want to just take a guess what's been nominated as the worst year in human history? Inside, it's not 2020, right? In 2018, there was a medieval scholar, right, named Michael McCormick, and he nominated the year 536 as the worst year in human history. And it's been agreed upon because literally everything apocalyptic that can happen in one year happened in this year in 536. Plagues, famine, disease, floods, volcanoes, like everything happened this year. It was known as the year of darkness. You can put this picture up here. This is just like a Google search. I don't know. 
That's probably what it looked like in 536, right? But the point was, like, every, like they, they don't know exactly why this happened. They look back on it and believe the volcanoes erupted. But the whole entire world was covered in this thick, dark, black smoke. And it was called the year of darkness, right? With no sunlight, temperatures dropped, crops died, famine struck the world. Tsunamis and floods ensued, draining all the fish. 50 million people died. 70, 80% of China's population died that year. How could you not live at that time and look out at the world and say, this is it. Like, this is God's judgment. It can't get any worse than that. The end of the world is here, yet the world kept spinning. Then we get to World War I and World War II, and you have this guy named Hitler, who everyone thinks is the Antichrist, and all the craziness there, and yet here we are today. So what do we make of all this? Right? Is this even relevant to us to talk about? Like, does the end times actually mean anything to us? Is this just some far out thing that Christians talk about? Or does this have any relevancy for us to even engage in this conversation today? The second Peter, uh, or Peter wrote a letter called Second Peter. It's in, our, it's in the New Testament. And it was written around between the time of 65 and 68 AD, AD meaning after death. And again, like I said, Jesus told his followers, stay ready for my return. It could happen at any point. Yet they got to a place of almost 70 years after Jesus resurrected. And there started being some people who were doubting. They were like, it's almost been a whole generation. Didn't you say Jesus was returning? And they started making fun of them. Like, you Christians are so dumb. If it hasn't happened yet, it's never going to happen. And so Peter writes the Christians, the believers, a letter to encourage them. And here's what he says. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And here's how he responds to that. He says, but they uh, deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the presence of the heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But not to forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Right? So God is moving. There is a plan. Something is happening, and we have to trust that God's timing is perfect. And there's one more thing for us to consider before we can jump into this passage. Right? To put the right questions on our mind. It was only just a few weeks ago, I was leading our young adults group, and you know, basically what that means is I prepare some questions for us on Monday nights, and we get together, and it's discussion-based, and it's really cool, because I get to learn a whole lot from our young adults group as it's discussion-based, and one of the questions we started asking is, I, you know, I kind of pitched them. I said, you know, you guys are young adults now, I meaning you guys are old enough to start looking around at the world and start asking, like, the big questions, like, hold on, what's, like, really going on here? Like, is there really a God? Is he really good? What's he up to? Can God be trusted? And I was asking them, like, do you guys ask those kind of questions? And they were real honest. One guy spoke up in the group, and he said, you know what? He's like, Zach, young, young people don't really ask those kind of questions. He's like, all the kind of questions we ask, like, what's my next class? What job am I going to have? Who am I dating? Where are my friends hanging out? You know, no one really asked, like, those kind of big questions. 
And it was really interesting because it spurred on this whole conversation about how the devil has got us so just distracted by the anxieties and the worries of life that none of us have actually stopped to wake up a little bit, pull our heads out and go, hold on, wait a minute, time out. What's really happening around me? I want to ask you right now, are you really asking the right questions? Just think for yourself right now. How often do you really think about the end times? And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, how often do you really think on a daily basis of Christ actually returning? And I'll admit, too, it's probably not very often, right? Has the devil got us so distracted that we're so busy, which is the busyness of life, that we maybe aren't asking the right questions? Like, is there a God? Can he be trusted? What's going on? What is God up to? Most importantly, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the truth? And if he is, what does that mean for me in my life? See, these are the questions that we need to have roaming through our head as we jump into this and read this passage here today. So to jump into Luke 21, just a little context, a little background to what we're reading right here. Jesus, in his journey at this point, was just days away now from his crucifixion. And he was in Jerusalem, and he was with his disciples, and they had walked up to the temple And if you didn't know this, the temple at this time was like one of the ancient wonders of the world. Like this picture probably doesn't even do it very good justice to just how magnificent and beautiful this thing was. As it just probably glistened like in the sun. It was just this huge, amazing thing. And it was incredibly important to the Jewish people because this is where the presence of God dwelt. And so Jesus is there with his disciples and his disciples were with Jesus and they go, Jesus, look how awesome this thing is. Like, isn't this just amazing? And they were just bragging, like, look how beautiful this is. It's like the greatest thing ever, isn't it, Jesus? And Jesus being Jesus just burst their little bubble. And he goes, yeah, you like that? Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. <laughs> this would be very similar to put it in our minds. Like, imagine if you were with Jesus in the year 2000, and you're going through New York, and you're looking at the Twin Towers, and you go, look how amazing this is. There's no buildings greater than this in America, Jesus. Isn't this so great? And Jesus goes, yeah, those are coming down. You'd be like, what? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean they're coming down? This was the exact way the disciples responded. They're like, Jesus, what do you mean the temple's not going to be there? What do you mean it's coming down? Like, tell us about this. What do you know that we don't know? There's a great scholar, his name is Kent Hughes, and he says this, and I want to read this to us right now. He says, Jesus would answer their questions, but some of his replies would go far beyond their initial inquiries. He would be instructing his church about his return, and we will also see that Jesus was not interested in giving date-setting details, but in encouraging his own to be steadfast and faithful until he returns. Jesus spoke pastorally. Now, if you've read this passage before, it's called the Olive Discourse, right? It's recorded in both um, Luke, Ma- uh, Mark, and Matthew. And if you've read it before, and you're like, this is confusing. I don't know what to make of this. Take a little deep breath. It's okay. Not a single scholar can, knows exactly 100% what's being talked about here. There's yet to be one scholar who's come out and says, this is exactly what it means. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about and have it be agreed upon by everyone. This is a highly debated topic, a highly debated understanding of exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And so the approach we're going to take at it today is we're going to pull out like the three biggest themes from this chapter, the three biggest points that Jesus talks about that I think relates to us the most. And so here's the first big thing that Jesus begins to talk about. It's the signs. So starting in verse 7, here's, how it, here's what it says. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And when will be the sign that they are about to take place, right? It's pretty big news. They want to like tell us what you know, Jesus. 
And this spurs Jesus on to, to say a lot of stuff. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of, the, of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be, a great, there will be great earthquakes, famine and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Here's what's fascinating about what he's saying here. Jesus acknowledges that this world is broken, that it is wicked, that there is evil here in this world, that because of rampant sin, it seems to have broken the perfection of God's creation. And all of us who are living in in every generation, all of us that live on this planet, there's something inside of us that just craves, I want out of this. I want something better. I want to get away from this sin. I want to get away from this brokenness. We crave to have this relationship and this desire to be connected to God once again, to be brought back into his perfection. And out of this desperation of the chaos, what happens is there are so many that arise up as false prophets, as false teachers, not to say I am Jesus necessarily, but to say I am Savior. And if you just follow me, I will save you. And people out of their desperation will turn from Christ to follow these false saviors. We see it time and time and time again throughout history. How many of us have seen a political leader who rises up and says, I can save you, and everyone follows after them? There's fake pastors and religious gurus and religious people who rise up and say, I can save you, and people follow after them. Any kind of religious institution that rises up and says, I can save you, and people follow after them. People time and time again are getting led away like sheep out of their desperation to be saved and at the cost of turning away from Jesus. And Jesus tells us here plainly, he goes, do not be deceived. There is one Savior and his name is Jesus. And we as Christ followers should not be deceived to get led away when it's hard and we're struggling and we're broken. We have to keep our mind focused on Jesus because that's the only person I want to give my allegiance to. He's the only one that can actually save. And what's interesting is Jesus, he takes this a step further now, talking about signs and how we can prepare ourselves to stay ready. Check out what he says here. Skipping a little bit further now to verse 29, he says, he told them this parable. He says, look at the fig tree. And all the trees, when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And what's interesting about this, what Jesus is saying here, is he's looking at a fig tree and he goes, look at this tree. Or he says, look at any tree. Right? You know when it's winter and like trees are barren and like there's no leaves on it, you can just see like just this barren, empty tree. When you see the uh, leaves start to sprout on a tree, you know springtime is coming. And as that tree grows with leaves and fruit or whatever else, you know that because of the evidence that's on the tree, because of the sign that's on the tree, that gives evidence and proof that summer is coming. Right? You can, the, the tree gives evidence to that. And Jesus goes, in the same way, in the same way you'll be able to look out at the world and line up the signs that have been prophesied about in Scripture, and you're not going to know exactly when I'm coming back, but you're going to know when to straighten up and prepare yourself because of the things that are happening in the world. And here's what's just so interesting. I talked about how the world just keeps spinning round and round, and every generation has said that Christ is coming back. But just very quickly, I want to just show us right now why there is something actually from a purely 
biblical perspective, right? Not from our opinion of looking out at the world and how we feel like the world is messed up, how dark we feel the world is, just strictly looking at it from a purely biblical perspective, our generation is put in a unique position than any generation before Jesus. Let me just tell you about this right now. Right, going all the way back even to the Old Testament, in, in passages from like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right, it was prophesied that there would be a regathering of the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth, that they would be restored, that the Jewish people would come back to the land of Israel and their nation would be restored. And when this happened in 1948, when the nation of Israel became a nation once again, this was like a huge prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. This had been prophesied about and it happened. It was amazing. Even more so, many of the end times prophecies talk about things happening in the temple. What's very interesting in this passage today, Jesus says, the temple is coming down. And lo and behold, exactly as Jesus prophesied about in AD 70, that temple was destroyed. And as time went on, the Jewish people were scattered. And they haven't had a temple in almost 2,000 years. Right now, if you research this, there was things in the work that the Jewish people are actually trying to rebuild a third temple. Again, it's just very interesting. And even to go a little bit further, Further, when you look, if you look at the biblical timeline, if you're to take the Bible in literal years in chronological order, every time God has some major movement with his people, it happens in spans of 2,000 years. From Adam all the way until Abraham, right? Everything God did in between there with the flood and the first humans and everything he did was roughly 2,000 years. And then from Abraham all the way until Jesus, right? The whole birth of the Jewish people and God setting everything in motion to bring the Messiah and to bring his people was roughly 2,000 years. And now we're here with Jesus all the way until us. Everything God is now doing with the church and his final step of everything that's happening in the Bible before his return has been roughly 2,000 years. Again, when we talk about the temple, these aren't things that go, okay, I'm good. There's like a, a few more things that have to happen. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It, there is nothing more that needs to happen in Scripture for Jesus to actually come back. What I'm trying to show us right now is this isn't just some far-out thinking. This isn't just some cute little thing that we as Christians go, oh, to be a Christian just means always stay ready for his return. Like, this is a real reality for us, that this thing can actually happen, that there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason that every single one of us shouldn't believe that Christ could come back in our lifetime. And that's exciting and a little bit scary all at the same time, but it's meant to keep us prepared. This isn't just some far out thinking for us. This is a very real reality. And here's the second thing Jesus talks about. It's persecution. Here's what he says. He says, before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind to do not worry beforehand or how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Let's, we're going to come back to that. Remember that. Jesus says everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair in your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I know that's contradictory. He says, some of you are going to be put to death and then your hairs on your head won't perish. You're like, how does that make sense? Jesus is saying here, listen, I hold you. I hold your eternity. I hold, your, I hold all of you when you're with me. 
Jesus even says later, do not fear someone who can kill man, but who can kill both man and soul. And Jesus goes, I have you. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? We're talking about persecution. And it's interesting conversation for us to talk about persecution, as many of us drove here today in our AC car. And we had our favorite worship playlist on. And then we get to church, and we have delicious coffee. And we come and sit in an AC room after just eating our nice sugary donuts. And we sit here. And on our way to church, we saw someone took our parking spot. We walked a little bit further, and we go, I do this for you, Lord. I suffer. Right? And it's just it's very interesting to talk about persecution. And here's one thing I want to just address right now is there seems to be something about the way we as American Christians understand what it means to follow Jesus, right? We have this thinking in our mind and things have gotten manipulated over time where we think, man, if I can just give my life to Jesus, then everything, all my problems will go away. If I can just give my life to Jesus, then God's supposed to bless me, supposed to answer my prayers. He's supposed to take away all my pain, my hurt, and everything in my life is supposed to be easier, and when we read in scripture, I've not, I've yet to read one single Christian who their lives, everyone who follows Jesus, their lives get better, but I've yet to read anyone whose lives get easier. Right? Everywhere I read in scripture where joy is found, the, the joy that comes from following Jesus, it says, is that we partake in his sufferings. Joy comes from partaking in the sufferings of Christ. And what is that? Jesus said, listen, everyone's going to hate you because of me. And for us today, what does that mean for us living here in 2023? I'll tell you this. As the world is getting darker and darker, it is getting harder and harder for us as believers to just blend into society to live like everyone else. When our culture has so perverted this idea of truth to be the subjective thing that has no uh, uh, truth anymore. We just say, your truth is my truth. And for those of us that say, you know what? No, I stand on the truth of Jesus. I stand on the truth of God's word. Even though we respond in love, that comes offensive to someone who says there is no truth. And as we try to live this life to follow Jesus, it gets harder and harder to stand up for him. It's like we're swimming upstream as the further culture goes from the truth of God's word. For those of us that say, no, I stand on truth and I love Jesus, it's going to bring difficulty to our lives. It's going to bring difficulty even in some of us in our family relations, in our coworkers' relations, in our neighbors' relations. As we're doing life with people, it's getting harder and harder to stand up for truth and to be outspoken about your faith. It's a form of persecution for us. It's not easy. Jesus says, everyone will hate you because of me. And although we always, we have to respond in love in everything we do, here's the warning for us is that we gotta be careful to really look at our lives and say, am I following the truth of where culture is going? Am I just going with the flow to be like everyone else? Or am I truly moving in the direction of the truth of God's word with my life? The third big thing that Jesus talks about here is his return. Jesus says this. He says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On earth, nation will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He, Jesus is saying here, let there be no mistake. Many people are going to rise up and say, I am he. I am the Christ. Jesus goes, listen, when I come back, there's going to be no mistake. The world will know when I'm coming. There's not going to be like, I think that's Jesus. No, it's not. Like Jesus is going to say, it's me. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. 
I want to just share this with you really quick because I think this is so cool. Every time um, I've gone to speak at a bunch of high school campuses, there's something called FCA, which stands for Fellowship in Christian Athletes. It's like this national thing. And what it is, it allows Christian clubs to be on high school campuses. And so I've been super blessed to be able to go and speak, at least during these huddles. They have these huddles during lunch where they bring pizza and like over 100 kids show up to this. And it's so cool. And they say, do you want to speak? And that's all they say. And I get to go and share the gospel as freely as I want on these high school campuses. And even though I have a different message for each high school campus, I bring these pieces of paper every single time I go, and I hint at this every chance I get. And what this is, I'm not going to go over it all right now, but this is the four top reasons, in my opinion, for the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Because what we as Christians believe, if you haven't really thought about this, we believe, we're kind of crazy, according to the world's eyes, right? We believe there's a man who was born on this earth, born of a virgin, walked this planet, claimed to be God, and then when he died, he actually rose from the dead. No other human in history, no other religious leaders believe to have actually brought themselves back from the dead. And what we as Christians do, we don't just close our eyes and go, because the Bible says so. Like, we actually have real evidence to believe that this thing actually happened, and so when you start looking at this for the evidence of it, and if you want any of these, there's some in the back over there. You can grab some. And this is just meant to pique your curiosity. It's in the full, full explanation. But it definitely has us thinking that, wait a minute, this thing probably actually happened. And then you take that even further. Right? The fact that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, and what that means is in the Old Testament, centuries before Jesus was born, things like where he would be born, how he would live, how he would die, were all predicted, and Jesus fulfilled over 300 of those. There's a man named Peter, Stone, uh, Peter Stoner. He's a mathematician. He wrote this book called Science Speaks. And what he did is he got a group of his friends together and he said, let's just take like the probability. Like, like I'm sure there's some pretty big coincidences that someone could fill a lot of those prophecies, right? I'm sure there's been tons of people who have fulfilled a lot of those prophecies just by coincidence. And so he said, let's get some people together, let's run some numbers, and let's see what are the probability for someone just to fulfill eight, just eight Old Testament prophecies. You want to guess what that number was? It was one in 100 million billion. That was just to fulfill eight of them. Jesus fulfilled over 300 of those, right? Jesus is the truth. And the reason this is so important to talk about, because if Jesus really did resurrect from the dead, if he really is the truth, if he really is the Messiah, when he says, I'm coming back, I believe him. <laughs> and this is happening. And this is real. So Jesus is coming back. And for us as believers, this is our hope. And this is our future, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to wrap up with. We're going to ask ourselves, what does all this mean for us? Right? How do we prepare for the end times? Whether I'm ready today to give my life to Jesus for the first time, whether I've been following him my whole entire life, what do we do? Right? How do we prepare? What does Jesus expect from us? I want to ask you just a really interesting question right now. Don't answer out loud. You can just think of your answer here hypothetically, right? Let's just say someone comes up to us. Let's say someone busts in the door and for whatever reason, we're going to believe this person. They said, the end of the world is here. God's judgment is at hand. The world is ending. What's the first thing we would want to rush to go do? Just think about that. I've never seen this movie, but I saw this clip and it fits very well. So I'm going to share it with us. Uh, there's a movie called Young Guns. Has anyone actually seen that movie? It's an older movie, right? Cool. So there's a, in the main character in that movie, there's this guy named Billy the Kid. And he's with his friends and his companions and they're going along on this journey and they're facing some difficulty and they're ready to give up. They're ready to throw in the towel. It seems like all the odds are against them. And right before they give up on their quest, Billy the Kid speaks up and he talks to his friends. and He says, you guys, don't you remember that story we used to hear? And he goes on to explain the story. He says, do you remember there were three guys playing cards? 
and someone busts in the door and says, the end of the world is here. God's judgment is at hand. This is the end. And he says each one of those three guys responded differently. The first guy, upon hearing that news, went right to the saloon, right? He wanted to drink and find some women and live it up a little bit. The second guy went straight to church, got on his knees and started praying. The third guy stayed playing the cards and he says, I will finish the game. And the camera like zooms in on Billy the Kid, like his crescendo moment. And he says, let's finish the game. And the whole point there, the lesson there is that when we are faced with the end, when we're faced with devastating news that our end is coming, all of us respond differently, right? Some of us want to go out and just chase all the thrills of the world. We have a bucket list and we want to experience as much as we can in this life. Others of us go, I've experienced too much. I got to go repent. I got to get right with God. I got to start praying. And the third person, the third, the third way we respond is going, you know what? Everything I'm doing right now is everything I want to be doing when the end comes. There's a great scholar. His name is D.L. Moody. Um, every single pastor you've heard, every message you've heard, every pastor has taken something from D.L. Moody to add to their messages at some point, right? He's a prolific scholar. And at one point they came up to him and they said, Moody, if you knew that Jesus was returning tonight, how would you spend the rest of your day? And he said, without hesitation, he said, I wouldn't do anything different than I do every day, right? Meaning the idea behind there is what do we do as Christians? How do we respond to the end times? Our goal, the priority of how we should set our life up is to have this feeling inside of us to say, you know what? If Jesus was to come back today, there's nothing I would wanna be doing differently than I already do every day because I'm already living every day as if Jesus could come back tonight. Jesus, he knows this is hard for us. He knows there are distractions out there and he tries to warn us with this and he tells us this in the same chapter. In verse 34 and 36, he tells us, he warns us, he says, you guys, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, meaning sensualities, drunkenness, meaning I wanna just not think about everything and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So I just got three quick application points for us to think about and we'll, we'll wrap up here this morning. So how do we prepare for the end times? Here's number one, is we gotta take a stance with Jesus. Right? You have to make a decision whether you're in or whether you're not. And here's what's so interesting, again, about talking about the evidence for the resurrection, to look objectively at the fact that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. You know what that does for us? The reason I talk about it so much is because what it does is it forces our hand to make a decision. It forces us to accept, you know what? This is reality. This is the world I live in, that Jesus is the truth, that he did resurrect from the dead, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. And even if I don't understand everything, and even though I might still want to explore what about this religion or what about this, or why does God allow this to happen? The starting line for all of us, the decision we're left to make is either do I want to follow Jesus or not? There's no option C. If this is the truth, that's all that we're left to make. Do I want him or do I not? Do I want to accept Christ or do I want to reject him? There's no other option. So what does it mean for us to choose to follow Jesus? I want to just share this quick story with you to put into perspective what it looks like for a lot of us just to cross that line to say, I'm ready for you, Jesus. There's a story about this young adult, or his pastor, and he was talking with this young adult, and the young adult went up to the pastor and he said, hey, pastor, if I want to start following Jesus, do I have to stop smoking weed? And the pastor goes, no. Some of you guys just looked up. You're like, yes, I knew I came on the right Sunday. <laughs> right, just, just hear, hear the rest of the story. 
So he goes, Pastor, I don't, I don't think you understand. I don't, maybe you don't know lingo or what we're talking about. I'm talking about marijuana, right? The Mary Jane, right? The green ganja, the sticky icky. You're telling me I don't have to stop doing that to start following Jesus? And the pastor goes, no. And the young girl looks at him and he says, I, I don't get what you're saying. That goes against everything I've ever heard. I don't understand. What do you mean I don't have to stop? And the pastor goes, that is exactly it. You don't understand. He says, let me ask you, when's the last time you got yourself cleaned up before you took a shower? And the young girl was like, uh, Never. And he goes, exactly. He's like, we don't have to fix our lives in order to start following Jesus. We start following Jesus and we watch how he begins to transform us. You don't start, you don't get everything right to fall in love with Jesus. You just start falling in love with Jesus and you watch, you watch how he begins to transform your heart. And you'll begin to see that there are the things that I used to do, but anything, anything now that pulls me away from my relationship with Jesus is not worth it. There is no greater love than I can find than a closeness with Jesus. And anything I have to do to stay in his presence, I am willing to say no to. Jesus, what he did is he didn't die on the cross for us to follow a bunch of rules. He died on the cross so that sinners can have access to God, that Jesus gives sinners his righteousness so that we can have this personal relationship with God that completely transforms us from the inside out. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So the action point here today, and again, we're going to go into our time of communion right after this. And if you've never made that decision or you need to, maybe it's been a long time. It's been a very, very, very long time since you've walked and talked with God. You're going to have a chance to do that here today. But it's really simple. Commit your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All right, here's the second application point for us here is to be watchful with spiritual eyes. Be watchful with spiritual eyes. You know, it was, a, it was a couple weeks ago, or a couple of years ago, almost two years ago, we, there was a you know, pretty famous YouTube celebrity kind of guy. He had gotten really famous on YouTube, and um, after that, he recently became an outspoken Christian. And so I just reached out to him. I said, hey, would you want to come speak to our students at our youth group and just share um, about Jesus? And he said yes, and he came and spoke here. It was, it was really cool. But what was fascinating about his story is he grew up Hindu. Right? He grew up in a Hindu family, didn't know really anything about Jesus or the devil, nothing like that, right? except for like some generalities from like what culture tells him. And even though he wasn't like an A-list celebrity, he was up there enough to where he started getting invited to these exclusive L.A. parties. And the deeper he went in getting invited to these exclusive L.A. parties, what he said is he started noticing just some of these parties were just so outright demonic, so outright just satanic. They were just like in the openly worshiping Satan and doing these satanic rituals where he didn't know a lot about that, but he said it freaked him out enough where he went home, started doing some research. And what he discovered, he said, you know what? If the devil is real in Hollywood, that's got to mean Jesus is real. And so he started doing some research, figured out who Jesus was and gave his life to Jesus. And it completely transformed his life. The point what I'm trying to make to us right now is it just seems like the, the day and age we're living in, it seems like the devil isn't hiding himself anymore. And he's getting more and more bold to show himself in Hollywood, in our movies, in our music, in the media. And more than ever, it just seems to be attacking our kids right now. Right? We've all seen, maybe you've seen this, how Target is going viral right now for putting satanic imagery on child's clothing. Balenciaga went viral for promoting like this weird satanic child trafficking ad. Adidas went viral not that long ago for partnering with this music icon named Little Nas X who released a Satan shoe. Epstein's Island, which we all thought was just this crazy conspiracy, proved out to be a dark reality. 
My point is, it just seems like there's all these things that just a few years ago, people used to write off as like conspiracy theories because all of us didn't want to believe there's no way the world is really that evil. There's no way Satan is really running everything and there's an agenda and all this stuff's happening. There's no way the world can be that dark. Fast forward a few years and those things are proving to be true. And we're seeing that there is an agenda. And if you can watch with spiritual eyes, you know that there is an enemy. There is good and there is evil. And there's an enemy that we have called Satan. He's against us. And his main goal of what he wants to do is he wants to destroy us. right? He wants to do what he can to destroy families. He wants to do what he can to try to attack our children, to have them confused about who their identity is, to attack their self-worth, and do everything he can to be behind this movement, this agenda that can push culture as far away from the truth of God's word. I mean, for parents right now, it is getting harder and harder to make choices about how to raise your kids. And I say that as a parent myself. We have to be watchful with spiritual eyes. Like I said, some of us need to just take a step back, lift up our heads from the busyness and just say, hold on, wait a minute. What is really going on here? What's really like happening right now? What am I a part of? Am I getting swayed up with this movement or am I standing on the truth of God's word? Am I making decisions that are helping protect my kids because the enemy is after him? And if we just let culture raise our kids and let things just happen, I'm telling you right now, it's a scary thing. If we're in the end time, the devil, he knows his time is up. And here is our hope. Right, here's what we as believers stand on. Jesus tells us this. He says in Luke 21, 8, he says, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So the action point here is this. It's very simple. So we gotta pray daily. You gotta know your word. You can't walk with God if you don't talk with him. You can't stand on truth if you don't know truth. Right? Spend time in his presence and allow God to open up your eyes spiritually to know how to pray for discernment, to pray for discernment. God, how do I walk in this world? How do I be effective in this world? How do I raise my children? How do I see things with spiritual eyes? And here's the last thing. This is what we'll end with right now. All right, how do we prepare for the end times? This is going to be fun. I want to ask you guys this question. If you have your bulletin, um, I would love it if you actually like, wrote down your answer here. If you have your phone to write down your answer. If you can write down your answer, it's going to be so much more powerful to remember this and to put it in perspective. And if anything else, just think about your answer here. Right, here's the question. If you could choose, what do you think would be the most important thing to be doing when Christ returns? Meaning, if you could choose to do anything you wanted, Right? What do you think would be the most important thing to be like in the act of doing at that moment Jesus returns? So I'll give you a moment just to think about that question. And it's been fun. I've been like asking everyone that question. I've been asking our pastors that question. I've been asking my wife that question. I've been asking our young adults that question. Asking friends that question. Just kind of seeing, engaging, and seeing what people's answers were. And as you're thinking about that, as you're answering it, for some of you guys, you have an answer like right away. Right? Something came to your mind right away. Some of you guys right away were like, oh, I would, my, my family member or my friend, I would love to be telling this person about the gospel and sharing Jesus with them right as Jesus returns. That'd be so cool. Some of us would be kind of have a more general answer. And we said, man, I would just love to be like evangelizing. I would love to be just telling someone about Jesus, maybe my neighbor, my coworker, just anyone. If I could be in the process of sharing Jesus with someone right as he comes back, that would be the coolest thing. All right, some of us have different answers. Like, man, I would love to be helping someone or I'd love to be praying for someone. I'd love to be praying healing over someone, something like that right as he returns, and that would be so cool. 
All of those answers are awesome, awesome answers. All of those are so cool. But I think it's safe to assume, I'm just gonna say that, I think it's safe to assume that what you guys are thinking about right now in regards to answering this question probably wasn't something like self-centered, right? Wasn't something directed towards you. I don't think anyone answered this question and said, I would love to be making a business deal, making some money right as Christ returns. That'd be awesome. I would love to be, you know, having my best drive ever on the golf course right as he returns. That would be so cool. I would love to be buying a home, just my dream home. I would love to be buying it right as Christ returns. I would love to be on my favorite boat right in the ocean right as he returns. As awesome as all those things are, right? None of those things are wrong. Those are part of just enjoying this life that God allows us to live. The problem is, is that those things are right now are the priority of some of our lives. And what we just addressed right here is when it comes, really comes down to it, like what do we actually want to be doing when Christ returns? That's what we should be prioritizing as a priority of our life. Like if we believe this thing is actually happening, if we believe Jesus is returning, and as we talked about, there's no reason to not believe that this could happen at any time. There's no reason to believe that this could be happening in our lifetime. What could be more important with how we prioritize our life than staying ready and doing the thing that we know we want to be doing when Jesus returns? Right? This is the idea. This is what we need to do. And as you think about your answer here, just to leave you with this right now, to just be asking yourself, if that's true, if this should be the priority of my life, if I want to be ready to stand firm and to stand up before the Son of Man, to stand before Jesus when he returns, how do I make this the priority of my life? Right? What questions do I need to start asking myself? Right? How can I actually start making an effort to reach out to that person? How can I start praying more for boldness so God can give me more opportunities to share my faith? Right? How can I study my Bible? How can I study my word more so that I can be more effective to be used by God? Right? What changes do I need to make to set my priorities right? And so I want to just leave us again with this quote from D.L. Moody because it is just a great quote to leave us on. As we think about this, for Jesus returning, and again, this isn't just some dream that we as Christians say. This is a reality. This is our hope. And most importantly, this is our future. If someone came up to us and said, Zach, if you knew, Zach, that Jesus would return tonight, how would you spend the rest of your day? And I want to be able to respond, I wouldn't be doing anything different than I already do every day. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get ready for our, our communion here. Father, I just pray this message not only sharpens us, Lord, but I pray this also encourages us. Lord, as we address, Lord, I mean, you, you didn't promise this life would be easy. Lord, because of sin, you addressed this life is difficult. But there's many of us, Lord, who are just hurting right now. We're, we're hurting and raising our kids. We're hurting and just trying to stay away from certain things. We're hurting because of certain people in our life. Lord, wherever you spoke to today, whoever you spoke this message to this morning, God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we remember, Lord, that you're calling us to something better. That although this life hurts and although it's hard, the closer we say to you, Lord, our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from staying in your presence. Lord, that you are coming back and there is a purpose to this life. And Lord, there is joy in remembering that and that gives us a, a fresh wind, Lord, to continue on, to keep pushing on because this life has purpose in God and you are with us. 
So I just pray over this right now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.